How many of you made it out to the picnic last night? Anybody got out there? We got rained out a little early, but we got a couple hours in. All right, if I, uh, we, we had been there for about an hour when the rains came, but it was awesome. We had a great time uh, at Central Park. I had been over with my family at the Noblesville uh, picnic earlier because we had that earlier and then uh, the later one. All of a sudden, too much fried chicken for me yesterday. I'm feeling a little bloated today. And, uh, you know, just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with fried chicken, but uh, it, it was a lot of it and it was fun and, and fun for us to, uh, to connect together. But I'm excited to share with you today. If you've got a Bible, uh, turn to the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 29, actually, uh, is where we're going to spend some of our time this morning. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us uh, before we get started. Father in heaven, thank you for this church. I love being a part of Genesis. And uh, Father, we're thankful for a Savior, the Savior you've given us in Jesus, our Savior. He is our leader. And uh, we love these small ways that we can be the hands and feet uh, of Jesus right here in this community. Uh, thanks for this church. Thanks for a generous church that uh, is willing to give uh, and to care about these things right here, Lord. And thanks for this time today. Uh, we're excited to be in this series. We're excited to be in your word. Uh, would you use this time this morning? We offer it all to you and uh, speak to us. Open up our hearts and our minds. Speak through me today, Lord. Meet us uh, in those special places maybe where you've got, uh, you've got just the right word, you've got just the right message uh, for us this morning. We're here for you. We're listening to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever met my wife, Jenny, before, but uh, Jenny and I, we've been married for 24 years. Like, we're coming up on 24 years this year, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, we can clap for that, right? That's pretty cool. But uh, uh, it's hard to believe. I, I really can't believe that we've been married that long. It Really, there are days when it doesn't feel like that long at all. There are days where it feels like 100 years, right? I mean, it's, it's true. She would say the same thing. You'd say the same uh, thing as well. But we met at Anderson University when I was a senior. Jenny was a junior. We dated for a year. We were engaged for a year. I got a a couple of fun pictures to show you. There's the young couple under the arch in St. Louis. That's where we were engaged. Clueless, by the way. Like we had no idea what we were getting ourselves uh, into. Uh, we got married August 1st, 1998 in Auburn, Indiana. Uh, here we are leaving our wedding reception, the Auburn Cord Duesenberg Museum. If you're a car fan, uh, Auburn, Indiana, where Jenny's from. Still clueless, right? Have no idea what they're getting themselves into as they exit those doors. We've lived in Anderson, Indiana, St. Joseph, Michigan, Louisville, Kentucky, and here in the uh, Hamilton County, Noblesville area area for the last 14 years. And oh yeah, God's blessed us with three amazing kids along the way. But 24 years, like I, how does that happen? I can promise you that it's not because we're so good at life, that Jenny and I are so good at marriage, because it's not that. And, and we didn't get lucky either. It's not because we uh, stumbled upon each other or that we met our soulmate or anything like this. It's not that for sure. But I got to think in this past couple of weeks, like, what is it about marriage? Uh, you've, you've thought about these things before too. There, there are any number of things that are important when it comes to marriage. What, but what's the most important ingredient? Like if you had to boil it down to one thing, what's the most important ingredient when it comes to things like love and satisfaction and happiness in marriage? I know this, and some of you have learned this. You know this as well. The key, the key to love, uh, the key to satisfaction, the, the key to happiness in life, get this, it ain't marriage. All right, marriage isn't the answer. 
It's not uh, stumbling on the right marriage or finding the perfect person to marry. Now, can a marriage built on the right things help us experience love in ways which we were created to experience it? Yes, I, I do believe that's true. Can, can a marriage built on the right things contribute to the satisfaction that we hope to enjoy in this world? Absolutely. I can speak from experience that that indeed is true. But what I want to be clear in saying today is that marriage or finding the right person in marriage is not your answer or my answer to the greatest needs that we have in this world. In fact, it's something else. It's something else. There, there's something better. And the interesting thing about this solution, the interesting thing about this better is that this, it's the same answer for you, whether you're single or married. You see, our desire our need for love and satisfaction is not found in a romantic relationship or another human person. No, getting married is no guarantee that you or I are going to live a satisfying life. No, the answer, the answer to our greatest needs in life for love and satisfaction, you name it, is Jesus. It's first and foremost Jesus above all else. Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy your deepest needs in this world. And that's true of you if you're married. It's true of you if you're single, whether you're singled by uh, choice or waiting and hoping to be married one day. We're in this series this summer called The Summer of Love. We've been studying through John all year. We're taking a break for John for just eight weeks, all right, June and July, uh, to do this series called The Summer of Love, where we're just talking a little bit about anything, everything, when it has to do with love and what the scriptures have to say about love, the way we love each other, the way we love God, the way we love our spouse, the way that we love people. Today, I want to talk to you about love and marriage and singleness. And, and, and talking about marriage means that we could discuss any number of things today. We could talk about things like his needs or her needs or dating or intimacy or conflict resolution or knowing your mate's love language. All of these are important. They're important parts of marriage and relationships. But what I believe that God has prepared me to share with you today is the most important. Uh, it's the most important ingredient when it comes to marriage. And let's also say that it's the one thing that matters most, whether you're married whether you're single, whether you're divorced, no matter who you are, this is what's most important. And so turn to John, Genesis 29, if you haven't already. I want to look at a story with you that's so much more than a story about love and marriage and singleness, all right? There's so much more in this, but we're, we're going to find some lessons uh, about that from this particular story. Now, I'll warn you up front, this is a very messy story. It's a, it's a story that doesn't make a lot of sense, but on the one hand, I find that pretty encouraging because I can be messy, all right? I don't always make sense, all right? Maybe you can relate with me as well. I'm sure all of us can relate to the messiness, but we're going to look at a story about a guy by the name of Jacob, and really what happens when you go looking for love and satisfaction in the wrong things. Now, as I said, again, Jacob's story is a long, complicated one, so we're only going to look at a small portion of it. And if you know some of Jacob's story, you know that Jacob and his brother Esau are at odds with one another so much that Esau has threatened to kill his brother Jacob, and not in the same way that you once threatened to kill your little sister or your little brother when you were younger or whatever. Like, this is the real deal. This guy means it. And so Jacob runs away from home, and he takes off looking for safety and 
refuge at his uncle Laban's house. And in Genesis 29, Jacob stops at a well in the middle of the wilderness. There were some men there. Jacob asked of them, he said, hey, do you know my uncle Laban? To which they replied, yeah, we know Laban. Like, you know, and he's got a daughter too. He's got a daughter by the name of Rachel. In fact, they come to this well all the time. I'm surprised they're not here right now. If you wait here long enough, you'll probably see them. Jacob waits. Before you know it, Laban's daughter, Rachel, also approaches with him. And as soon as Jacob sees Rachel, he's like, yowza. I mean, you know, cue Prince's song, the most beautiful girl in the world. We've all had moments like that, right? I mean, maybe it was the first time you laid eyes on your now husband, all right? Or you laid eyes on, on your girlfriend. If you're single, you've had some occasions when he's walked in the room or she walked in the room and maybe you take a peek to see if they got a ring on their finger. Like we all know those moments. Jacob sees Rachel. He's stunned. And for those of you who haven't connected the dots yet, this is Uncle Laban's daughter, which means this is also my cousin, Rachel. Like that's a little weird to us, but 3,500 years ago, not as much. And it is the deep South of Israel, right? And we just know things <laughs> operate a little differently in the South. But the scriptures say that Jacob saw her and he loved her at first sight. And I just can't help but wonder or assume a bit, is he thinking this is the one? Like, this is the one I've been waiting for. This is what I need. If I marry this woman, I will be happy no matter the cost. You know what? If we're not careful, if we're not careful, you and I can just as easily be misled. We can be tempted in the very same way. Think about it. Maybe you were the guy or the girl in high school that always had to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And if you didn't, something didn't feel right. You didn't feel complete. What about the husband, the one with the wife and the kids? And for a really long time, they're enough. It satisfies. Then one day his wife stops meeting his needs, at least in the way that he thinks she should. And so he falls into the arms of someone else. How about the wife? She's got needs too. And if she's not careful, it might not be long before she goes looking to meet those needs somewhere else. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with love at first sight. Or let's be real. This is attraction at first sight. But Jacob's got a problem developing. Here's where we pick it up. Genesis 29, beginning in verse 16. The writer said, now Uncle Laban had two daughters. That's an important detail that we'll get to in a moment. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Look what he says about them. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. The writer says that uh, Leah has weak eyes. And I can promise you that this has nothing to do with her eyesight. Let's just say it's a really polite way of saying she's got a really nice personality, right? That, that's what she's known for. That's what Leah's known for. Rachel, on the other hand, what's he say? Has a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now let's stop there for a second. Again, there's nothing wrong with physical attraction. I was attracted to my wife, Jenny, when I first met her. I mean, of course she was attracted to me. Have you seen my wedding picture? Like, check this out. Like, I mean, I mean, how, like, how could you not to be like this hunk of love, you know, here on his wedding day? I often look at this picture and think, what was the photographer thinking? Like, what did he, hey, hey, go over there and stand by the tree and put out the vibe, you know, for just a moment. Let me, let me get a shot of this. But anyways, all right, John, get that off the screen. Let's move on. But, but seriously, like physical attraction or the desire for intimacy is a good thing. God did that. 
Uh, he, he did that. I, I love the way that God made men and women different. I'm thankful for things like hormones. But here's the challenge that we're up against in our culture today. We put so much value on things like beauty and appearance above all else. It's one of the reasons why pornography is so dangerous and so devastating. Now, not only does it victimize those who are portrayed, but it also creates this unrealistic expectation about love and satisfaction, whether you're single or married. Jacob notices Rachel there's attraction and there's nothing wrong with that, but controlling his desires is not his only problem. This guy's in a tough spot, all right? We, we can make some assumptions here. He's running from his brother, all right? He's running away from home. We'd say something like today, he's got some wounds, all right, that he's got to deal with. And now he's in this desperate place and he meets Rachel and you know he's thinking she's the answer. She's the answer. Marriage is my answer. Marrying Rachel is what will satisfy me. And if I could stop there for just a second, I want to take just a moment. I want to say something to those of you uh, that are single, uh, those of you that maybe are divorced. And I also want to say, I realize this is coming from a guy who got married right out of college. All right. And so I've really only ever known marriage. And so my view is somewhat limited in knowing what it's like to be single living in this world today. But I do know this, we tend to place such a high value on marriage really in our culture, in our country, certainly here in this community, like it's the goal. It's the prize. If you don't achieve it, there must be something wrong with you. And it happens everywhere, even in the church. Like we, we're, we're guilty of this here, even in the church. We, we cater a lot of things, even our communication to those that are married, to those that have families. And sometimes it might come across like we undervalue those who don't. I just want you to know if I or Genesis have ever made you feel that way, I, I apologize for that. Because um, whether you're married or single, uh, young or old, male or female, like you're an important part of this church. Uh, you, you make this church family a special church family. Like everyone has a part to play uh, in this family. Like we wouldn't be who we are without you. But let me say this. Marriage is not the goal. Uh, it's not the ultimate prize. Mar marriage is not the answer to your greatest needs for purpose, for satisfaction and happiness. Jesus is. Like Jesus is the answer. Uh, he's the goal. He's the prize. A relationship with Jesus and, and, and living for him is the most important thing that you can do with your life in this world. The most important relationship you will ever need, whether you're married or single. And with that in mind, let me just say to parents for a moment, me being one of them, like be careful that you don't apply unnecessary uh, pressure for your kids to get married. Because we might like to say, you know, I'm, I'm praying for the man, I'm praying for the woman that you will one day marry. And that's not a bad thing. Like that's a really good prayer to pray. That's a prayer that I have prayed for my kids, all right? It's okay to pray for that. But I like what I heard writer and speaker Jackie Hill Perry say in an interview recently. She said, an even better prayer would be to tell your kids that I am praying that you will grow up to know and to live for Jesus above all else in this world. And I am praying that Jesus will be the one that you look to first and foremost for your satisfaction. And that if you marry, that you will marry a man or a woman that loves Jesus in the same way that you do. And so if you're single don't fall into this trap of thinking either, believing that marriage is the answer and that getting married will solve all your problems. 
And if I can, I'd like to suggest that if you feel like you're missing out on something in life, some of it could be the result of wrongly believing that marriage is the answer to your greatest needs when in fact Jesus is. Jesus is the answer to all of our needs. And I wonder if that's just a little bit of what's going on with Jacob, because it appears for him that marriage is the answer. Uh, Marrying Rachel is really going to become this obsession, and that's going to lead to problems, problems like this one, that when marriage is the answer, when we make this the ultimate goal, our driving ambition, well, you and I are more likely to compromise. We're more likely to compromise. Genesis uh, 29, verse 18, we read, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to Uncle Laban, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, in this culture, it wasn't uncommon for a man to pay a, a price for the bride. And so the father of the bride would set a price with things like livestock or crops or a time of service. That's what Jacob did. And from what I've read, two to four years of service was common. Notice how Jacob is willing to pay almost four times the going rate, which sounds like a really romantic story. All right, this makes for a great book, great novel, a great movie. It's amazing what we'll do for love. I, you know, when I said Jenny and I met at Anderson University, we met in a class. We didn't really know each other before the class. We kind of knew of each other, but we met in this class called Faith Development. Big class, just something everybody had to take at our school. And uh, we had a professor who was a big fan of group projects, which I think are horrible, by the way. Hated group projects. Because if you're a good student, it just means you're getting stuck with it all, all right? If you want to get anything done. Well, he would pass around this sheet of paper and there'd be like four spots for every group. And so I think I was one of the first people that so I'm going just blindly and put my name down on an empty group. Well, by the time the paper got to Jenny, well, if she told you the story, she would say, well, I signed up for his group because I knew he was a good student, but come on, like we know, like you saw the picture like that I showed you a moment ago, like you, you know why she signed up for, for the group, but you know, that was the start of it for us. It was a group, you know, and then it's bumping into each other at the library and then getting a meal together and the walks and the notes and all of the conversations, like it's the little things, you know, and the story comes together. It's amazing what we'll do for love. Sometimes admirable and romantic, other times not so admirable. Because if we're not careful, our desire and pursuit of love before all else can cause us to compromise on some pretty important things in life. You know, like when the young girl decides that she wants to save herself for marriage, save herself sexually. Um, she wants to marry him though. He starts pressuring her and she doesn't want to lose him. So she compromises. Or the guy that's dating the woman and she's attractive, but she's not very kind, not real nice. And he thinks, well, maybe one day she'll change. So he compromises. Or how about the woman that loves the Lord and one day she meets a guy, and the only thing is he just, he, well, he doesn't value faith the same way that I do. But the clock is ticking. Will there be another chance? How many opportunities are left? She compromises. When marriage, when we make marriage the answer, like we, we put ourselves in this position of compromising more than we should, and that's not a good starting place in marriage. But there's something else. Like when marriage is the answer, it's easy to become demanding too. 
Jacob worked for seven years to be able to marry Rachel. At the end of seven years, Uncle Laban tries to trick him, all right? There's deception all over this story. He's going to go back on his promise, to which Jacob's going to reply to him in verse 21. Then Jacob said to Uncle Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. And I don't recommend that you talk to your father-in-law that way. Your future father-in-law seems like a little more information than anybody needs to know. But the fact is, there's a lot going on here. Jacob's not being gentle. He has these demands. He has these expectations. And if you are or ever have been in a marriage or a relationship with a demanding person, you know how devastating, uh, you know how exhausting, you know how even dangerous a relationship like that can be. It's not a good, healthy place to be. Like when we, when we make marriage the answer to our greatest needs for love and satisfaction, we can become pretty demanding too, to the point that things like intimacy and quality time become like weapons or bargaining chips at the table. All of a sudden, marriage can easily become like this contractual arrangement where one or both parties demand, uh, this is what you owe me, and if I do my part, you better do yours or else. That's not what God has in mind for marriage. That's not what he has in mind for any of us when it comes to relationships. No, in God's eyes, like marriage is this beautiful covenant relationship between one man and one woman with Jesus at the very center of it all, not a 50-50 arrangement. No, as I heard somebody say one time, it's a 100-100 arrangement. It means that in my marriage, I bring 100% of myself into the relationship. Jenny does the same. Marriage works best when Jesus is at the center of it all, holding it all together. Anything else, it's easy to get selfish and demanding. And right now, some of you are married to a demanding man, and you know how hard it is. Uh, or you're married to a woman that's got some unrealistic expectations of you, some demands that you know you can't live up to. Man, it's easy, even in a good marriage, to fall into this trap of, if I do my part, you better do your part. Make no mistake, marriage is hard. Can I get some agreement in the room with anyone? Like, we'd all agree. It's hard. Like, marriage is really really hard work. You take two imperfect people and you ask them to share a closet, right? You're going to find out how difficult and challenging it is. We all bring expectations and hopes, not all bad, into our marriage. It's easy to become demanding, but here's one last thing, and this is really the overriding theme for today, and that is that when marriage is the answer, you're never satisfied. Like when that's the goal, when that's the driving ambition, you and I will never be satisfied. When you try and convince yourself that a certain marriage or a particular person can meet all of your needs, I can promise you, you will never be completely satisfied. Marriage is a wonderful, beautiful gift from God. But when any of us make marriage the goal and try and convince ourselves that a marriage or a future marriage is all I need, you'll be disappointed. At some point, you'll run into that disappointment, and it could be a little of what's happening in, in Jacob's story. He's thinking, I gotta marry Rachel. I've worked for her, and now I'm due. And if you know this story, all right, if you've been around church and you've heard this story, you know that Jacob's got a new problem on the horizon because back then it was tradition for the father to marry off the older daughter before ever marrying off the younger daughter. Who's the older daughter in this story? Oh, it's Leah, 
the one with the really nice personality, all right? She's not married yet. She's the oldest daughter. Rachel, on the other hand, she's the younger, beautiful one. Without getting into it all, there's finally a wedding, all right, between Jacob and Rachel, but just say, well, let's just say things got a little out of hand at the reception. Blame the rum punch. Uh, Uncle Laban takes advantage of everyone in the moment and ends up giving Leah to Jacob as well. Without Jacob realizing it, all said and done, we get to the end of the wedding. The predicament is that Jacob's got two wives, Leah and Rachel, and they just happen to be sisters. Christmas will be fun with this family, all right, for everyone involved. But I told you, I did, I told you it was a long, complicated story, and it's only going to get messier, which if you read it yourself, you might find it a bit of relief because if you've got a messy story, chances are it's not as messy as this one. But at the beginning, I told you this. I told you that this really isn't a story about marriage or relationships, even though there are certainly some lessons in it. No, more than anything, it's actually a story of grace and faithfulness. Because do you know what God's going to do? Here's what God's going to do in this. He's going to redeem the mistakes. He's going to heal wounds. He's going to use all of it. He's going to use the loneliness, the disappointment, the deception. God's going to use it to get Jacob's heart and ultimately uh, his affection. He's going to use the mess. He's going to use the mistakes that Jacob made and bring good from it. And what God, why would God do something like that? It's who he is. It's what he does. And do you know what? We, what we learn from and about God in this story Well, it makes all the difference for anyone here today, anyone that's watching online right now, like whether you're single or married or divorced, whether uh, you got a messy life or you do a really good job of acting like you've got it all put together, God can use the circumstances of your life. He can use the pain. He can use the divorce. He can use the waiting and your prayers, and he can take the frustration and the loneliness and hurt, and he can redeem every ounce of it. Here's the bottom line in this story and in this message today. And again, this is true whether you're single or married, no matter how old or young you are. When it comes to our greatest needs in this world, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only one who can truly and completely satisfy. And I want to take just a moment, I want to say something to those of you that are married, and then I'll close by saying something to those of you that are single. But for those of you that are married, above all, all else. Jesus is first and foremost what you need and what your marriage needs. And here's the funny thing about that. Like Jesus can't be at the center of your marriage unless he is at the center of your life first. Your husband can only provide so much love. Uh, Your wife can only provide so much satisfaction. Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy. You make Jesus Christ the center of your life, and you immediately put your marriage at an incredible advantage. Like I just think about my own life. Maybe this would be true of you. Like Jesus at the center of my life is going to influence my thinking. All right, he's going to influence my thoughts, the way that I react. He's going to help me better understand the grace I've received so I'm in a better position to extend that grace to somebody like my wife. Jesus at the center of my life uh, it should influence all of my actions, the way that I love and, and care for Jenny, the way that I serve her, the way that I, I speak about her. Like Jesus at the center of my life impacts my patience. Jesus is awfully patient with me. And so in the same 
same way he is patient with me, I am better able to extend that patience to others. He corrects my thinking. It's his Holy Spirit and presence in me that convicts me of my wrongs. I can't promise you that Jesus at the center of your life means that things go perfectly in marriage because it just ain't true, all right? We go through difficulties. We go through these challenges. Jesus at the center of your life doesn't guarantee that Jesus is at the center of his life or, or her life. You can, you can follow Jesus and still mess up. Uh, you can follow Jesus and be incredibly difficult to live with. You can, we all sin, we all fall short. None of us is perfect. But when Jesus is at the center of your life and you go looking first and foremost to find your satisfaction in him, when, when Jesus Christ is at the center of your spouse's life and they are looking to Jesus first and foremost for their satisfaction, I'd say the same is true in a dating relationship where both are pursuing Jesus first and foremost. Well, a relationship like that or a marriage like that Again, is it an incredible advantage in this world? And here's something else. A marriage with Jesus at the center is an incredible, an incredible witness and example to this world. I once heard someone say that if Christians could get marriage right, the whole world would look to the church and most importantly to Jesus and say, I got to know more. Please help me know more. Are you married? hope to be married one day, I would say make serving Jesus and living for Jesus your greatest priority in this world. If you're in a difficult marriage right now or a complicated one, you know, maybe you're willing to follow Jesus, but they're not, you're not on the same page. You following Jesus is better than no one in the marriage following Jesus. And no matter what it is, no matter how difficult it be, may be, no matter how strained it may be, you keep praying, you keep trusting Jesus because God can change any heart and he can certainly change any marriage too. And so you keep hanging on to him. And now to those of you that are single, whether by choice, divorced, single, hoping to be married one day, again, finding the right husband or the right wife is not the great answer to your greatest needs in this world. There's nothing wrong with desiring love. Uh, there's nothing wrong with praying for God to bring someone into your life. Uh, God can use a marriage. God can use, you know, marriage, and marriage may be a part of God's plan for you. But don't ever forget this. More than anything else, Jesus is your ultimate source of satisfaction. And in the same way that our world needs to see loving marriages with Jesus at the center, please hear me when I say this, our world needs to see single men and single women who are living for and leaning on Jesus to meet all of their greatest needs. And so you keep living wholeheartedly for Jesus. Uh, keep trusting Jesus for all of your needs. Lean on Jesus to meet you in your loneliness. Ask Jesus to bring people into your life. Be a, a person who serves. Be, be generous with your time and your resources. Don't isolate yourself. Find community with others, with married people, with single people. Find ways of getting deeply involved with the Genesis church family. And don't you compromise. All right, don't settle for less. Discern the people, the places, and the activities that bring you joy. Be obedient to Christ at all costs and ask yourself each day, what do I need to do to fully live for Jesus in this world right now? Pastor and author Pete Scazzaro explains how God can use your singleness in your life for the sake of others who might encounter you. He says this in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. He says, as a single you bear witness to the sufficiency and fullness of Jesus through your celibacy. He says, you're not giving your body away. You're not hooking up. Why? 
because you're married to Christ. Your whole person belongs to him. And this serves as the foundation of your life. Your commitment affirms the reality that Jesus is the bread who satisfies. Jesus is the bread who satisfies. He is the one who meets our needs, our longings, and satisfies our desires. It was Jesus that said in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. No matter who you are, married or single, whether you've put your faith in Christ or not, Jesus offers himself to you. And I don't know where you find yourself in any or all of this today, but let me just say this to you. Joel mentioned this a while ago. You aren't what you've done. Uh, you aren't your mistakes. You aren't what others say about you. No, friends, you are what God says about you. And when you put your faith and trust in him, when you experience the power of his forgiveness, his redemption, his healing in your life, that's a game changer. That means you belong to him. You see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he declares you a child of God. Will you pray with me? I want to pray for those of you that are married, and I'm going to pray for those of you that are single. And in your marriage right now, whether, you know, your marriage might be in a great place, but for some of you, it could be in a tough place. Some newly married maybe married for a really long time. Some of us today need to be reminded that first and foremost, our satisfaction is in Jesus. And it's out of that relationship that we better love our wife. You better love your husband. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love that you demonstrated for us in your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life and redeemed us, that we find our we find everything that we are and everything that we need in him. Father, be the bread that truly satisfies today for every husband, every wife in this room, that ultimately we will look to Jesus first and foremost for what we need and that out of that abiding relationship with Jesus, that you would change us and shape us, that we may love our spouse the way that you desire, the way that you see. Have your way, Lord. And through our marriages and, and through marriages that reflect Jesus, may you use our marriages to be a great example to our kids, to maybe demonstrate the power of the good news of Jesus to a neighbor or a coworker or another family member. Have your way in us. Let our marriages be a reflection of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And for those of you that are single today, I want to pray for you that above all else, you will find your life, your satisfaction, and your hope in Jesus Christ. He is our light, as Psalm 27 says. He is our, our, our salvation. He is our stronghold. And I pray that you will find everything you need in him, that he will be your sufficiency. 
that he will be your source, that he will be your life, and that he will lead and guide you every day. Whatever he has planned, that you may trust him in all things. Jesus, we trust you in all things. And let our lives, let these lives, Lord, of waiting and trusting and living for you be a great reflection of what your son did for us and point others to Jesus that others may know you. Father, we thank you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing and close together?